Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder if you can just bring to mind a time that either you were invited into a particular group of people who you wanted to be a part of, or you were pushed out when you were told, no, you can't be part of this group. I remember when I was a child, uh, I was playing football on our school field. I remember one day, some of the other kids said, no, Tom, you can't play with us today. And I was excluded. Come on, give me a bit more sympathy than that, please. Thank you. Thank you. That's a bit of a scarring moment. Um, I, I can think of other times where groups of people have invited me in to do things. And I often prompt the question in my mind, well, what's the rules here? Like, who makes this up? Who decides who gets to be in, who has to be out? And on what basis do they make that decision? And it can be similar when we think about God and church and the people of God. Like, who gets to be in? Who can't be in? Why? What's the basis for it all? And this was the issue in a place called Galatia, and that's prompted the letter that we've been looking at recently here at Christchurch Manchester called Galatians. It's an attempt to answer the question, an attempt to address some of these issues. Let me set the scene of what's going on. Galatia is a region. It's not just one town. A lot of the letters are written to one town. This is a region, and you'd locate it in modern-day Turkey. So I think Turkey on the map, and there's a whole bunch of cities that made up Galatia. So places like Iconium, Lystra, Derby, all of these are mentioned in Acts chapter 14 when we see churches getting started in them. Uh, but the biggest city, the most prominent, well-known place in Galatia was a place called Antioch. And that was the capital city of this region. And what had happened is Christians from Jerusalem, where the church had started, the day of Pentecost had happened, the Holy Spirit had been poured out and ended up getting persecuted and opposed in that place in Jerusalem. And so they'd start and move into other places. And as they moved to these different places, they would share some of what they'd experienced. They'd tell people about Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and they'd proclaim the good news of him. But what they'd do, because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish story, the Old Testament prophecies, all of it was fulfilled in Jesus, What these people would do as they got to their new place was think, well, who would this make sense to? Who, if we told this, would get it? Well, we probably need to go to the synagogue. We probably need to tell the Jewish people in these towns who know the story, know all the promises, know all the background, so we can say to them, hey, yes, yes, it's all fulfilled now. Come and know Jesus. But when they got to Antioch in Galatia, something very different happened. And we see it in Acts 11, where it says, They spoke the word to no one except Jews, but among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Now, Hellenists literally means Greek speakers, and it's got in mind the normal native Galatian population. So these are the the Turkish people from Galatia proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. Now, that's wonderful, isn't it? That's an incredible thing. 
And it's also a huge conundrum. It's a big problem for them to figure out. Because what's happened until now, because they've been going to the synagogue, they've been sharing the good news with Jewish people, all these people who made up the community, they had something in common. They had a shared cultural background. They had a shared cultural heritage. They had a shared story that they'd all lived in. They had ways of doing things. They had patterns of life that they all went along with. These were things like food laws. So they would all eat kosher food and not eat non-kosher food. And when they had their gatherings, well, it was easy to figure out what shall we do. Well, we all want to eat kosher and non-kosher. Fine, we'll do the food stuff that way. They were all used to keeping certain feast days and festivals, and they had their public holidays at certain times. Well, that's when they all did it, so it was easy. They all uh, had booked off those weekends from their work, and they were going to keep those um, festivals. That's when they'd do their big services and all that. It was easy to figure out. And for, for the men amongst them, circumcision was a big part of this as well. All this heritage from the Old Testament. So when they figured out how do we be a people together, it was easy. Until these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene start telling the good news to other people who don't have any of that, who don't have any of the same background, who don't have any of the same culture, who don't have any of the same backing assumptions to their life. And so they've got the faith in Jesus in common, but nothing else is the same. How do you be a community together then? How do you figure out what it's like to be the people of God together with people who do life very differently to you? That was the question they had to wrestle with. Now, you had some people, and what they would say, they, these were people called the Circumcision Party. By the way, that sounds like the worst party ever. If I ever get invited to one, no, I'm not going. Um, <laughs> but you got some people, and, and what they were saying is, okay, well, this is all from a, a Jewish background. This comes out of the Jewish scriptures. So all these other people, these native Turkish Galatian people, well, they're very welcome in. You know, we, we want them to be part of this. We, we're really glad that they've believed in Jesus. Now what they do is need to, they, they need to start taking on all this stuff that the rest of us do. They need to start making themselves culturally Jewish to fit. They need to keep the food laws. They need to stop eating bacon and eat kosher food instead. They need to keep our feast days. The men amongst them need to be circumcised. That's what they need to do. And if they can start playing by our rules, the rules that the rest of us are doing, then it's fine. Then it will work. Then we can be a people together. But if they don't do that, there's a problem. This isn't going to work. Now, you had Paul. Paul was the church planter who'd set up the churches in those places. He'd been uh, spoken to by the risen Jesus. He'd been sent out to start churches all over the known world. That was his big commissioning. And he very, very strongly opposed this. He made arguments that it can't possibly be that. You can't tell these people, hey, in order to be part of God's people, you need to eat certain foods. In order to be part of God's people, you need to get circumcised. In order to be part of God's people, you need to keep feast days. It can't be that because that's not the gospel. The gospel says something different. The gospel says to be right with God isn't about what you do, but about what Jesus has done for you. It's a gift. It's all grace. So now if you're telling people, yeah, it's grace, but it's also grace plus food laws or grace plus circumcision, you've completely missed the point. You've undermined everything. 
So he writes this letter, and it's a really strong letter, and I'm sure you've been seeing in recent weeks the strength of feeling that's going into it. Well, in today's bit, what happens is Peter, and he's sometimes known as Cephas, that was the Greek version of his name, same guy. He comes to Antioch to visit, and when he gets there, even he's led astray by some of the false thinking, as is Barnabas, another of the big leaders in the church. It seems to be infiltrating the thinking of everyone. So we're going to read about a bit of a Barney between Paul and Peter about this issue. Now, just a really... um, Technical thing, I don't know how your translation is set out. Some of the translations, we'll see, we're in Galatians 2, we'll see verse 14 as Paul's reply to Peter, and then when we go from verse 15 onwards, it's like some other stuff. Some of the translations will have all of it, 14 onwards through to the end of our passage as the reply. I'm convinced that that's right. So I'm going to be talking as though the whole thing is Paul's reply to Peter. If it turns out I'm wrong, doesn't change the substance of what we're talking about this morning, but just be aware that this whole thing, in my view, is his response once we get to verse 14. So Galatians 2, if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to open it up, and let's read. I'll pick it up from verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate I'm a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, So that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes from the law, then Christ died for nothing. Bible commentator John Stott says this is without doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Here are two leading apostles of Jesus Christ face to face in complete and open conflict. When Paul visited Jerusalem, Peter, together with James and John, gave him the right hand of fellowship. But when Peter visited Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face. 
Now, I wonder if you grasped exactly what Peter had done here. So Peter had gone down to Antioch, and initially when he'd got there, he'd welcomed these believers from all different backgrounds. He'd ate with them. He'd ate whatever food they were eating. He'd said, yeah, we have fellowship. We're together. We're part of God's people. But then some people came down from Jerusalem. That was this circumcision party. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, I wonder what they'd think if I ate with these Gentiles, these native Antioch-born people. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. They'd think I'm not keeping the law. I'm going to make these people keep all the food laws if they want to be part of it. So he's got swept up in that. It's hypocrisy, and Paul is calling it out. I want to pick up two points on, on a starting question. On what basis are you in or out? Because that's the dynamic that flows through this whole passage. And the first one we're calling the gospel versus legalism. And that was the presenting issue. Legalism is when whether you're in or out is based on what you do, how well you live up to a standard, how well you impress the, the French jury or whatever it may be. And no point for you, you haven't been keeping the law well enough. That's the basis of legalism, based on whether you can keep a standard or not keep a standard, you're in or out. I remember once when I was working in schools, uh, I heard of a time that a school knew that Ofsted were coming uh, and placed a few cheeky phone calls to some of the naughtiest kids and said, if you fancy a day off tomorrow, um, <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> but that's the principle, isn't it? Like you're, you're not performing well enough. You're not meeting the standard we'd want to set. You're not really part of us. Just stay away. Just be at arm's length from us. That's legalism. In Galatia, the, the standard, the way it was measured, were these ceremonial laws, the food laws, the circumcision, the feast days, all of that. Can you keep that or not keep that? And when the people from Jerusalem came and Peter started going on with it, Paul was stunned to see something so opposed, so distorting the gospel. He said in chapter 1, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. It's a totally different gospel. It's not the basis that Jesus has set it up. When you ditch grace and make it about keeping rules, and those people have done well enough, so they're welcome. That's not it. That's the opposite of it. There are so many ways this can play out for us today. We can have this same dynamic. Am I doing well enough? Will I be okay? We can put rules on one another. We can impose standards on each other as though someone's acceptance or rejection is based on their actions. And over the last few weeks, different people who've been preaching have picked out some of these and brought some of the practical ways it plays out. One of the ones that I see quite a lot is when I'm talking to people, I'll often hear them say something, you know when I picture God, like when I try and imagine him, I just think of someone who's mad at me all the time. I try and do it, it's like, okay, well, well, why do you think that? It's like, well, it's because of what I do, because I'm not good enough, because I fall short, because I'm not like this person, because I've done this thing, I, I, I see shame in myself, God must be mad at me. Well, that's legalism, isn't it? Because God would be mad or happy with you because of what you've done. It misses the point. God is pleased with you. He loves you. He delights in you because of what Jesus has done, because you're wearing robes of righteousness, because he's adopted you in through his son. Legalism is in contrast to Paul's message. Do you see what he said in verse 21? I do not nullify the grace of God. The heart of the gospel 
is that our acceptance with God isn't based on anything we've done or not done. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. You've probably heard this quote before. It's done the rounds a bit. I think it's magnificent. Philip Yancey said, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Just think on that for a second. Just let that wash over you. We can be so quick to pressurise ourselves with performance. Am am I keeping the standard that I'd set myself to? Am I being a good church person? Am I keeping a moral code? None of that would make him love you more. And failing on that stuff wouldn't make him love you less. It's grace. It's grace. So the gospel versus legalism. Here's the second one that we see in this passage, I think. The gospel versus racism. Because when we look at a passage like this, it's easy to read it and miss the racial dimension to what's going on. But it's absolutely there. Because what's happening is these people from Jerusalem are coming down to Antioch and they're finding people, ethnically um, Hellenist, Turkish, Antioch-born people, and they're saying people who look like you would only be acceptable to God if you start to act like people who look like us. That's what they're saying. They're saying the criteria that determines whether someone is inside or outside is their racial identity, and it's only by adopting a different racial identity can Gentile believers be in fellowship with God and his church. And when Peter and Barnabas go along with it, that's the message they're endorsing. Now, we have a word for that kind of thinking, don't we? And that word is racism. And I want to speak into it this morning. I'm going to do so in three ways. Okay, Firstly, let's speak into it theologically. Let's just get a bit of our, our ducks in a row and think what the Bible has to say about this. Now, when we talk about race, we all know what we mean. It's a useful way to talk sometimes. But we we should know and we should be clear that biblically, there's one race, the human race. All of us are made in the image of God. And then within that, there are different people groups and ethnicities and cultures and so on. And God made a promise in the Old Testament to Abraham. But isn't it interesting when Paul picks up that, um, he says, this is in chapter 3, verse 8, still in Galatians here, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. All the nations, all the peoples are going to be blessed in you. But he says that's the gospel. Now, when you think about the gospel, when you talk about it, when you share the gospel, do you have this view for people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, all being brought together as one people? That's Paul's vision of the gospel. And as he uses the word, it has those connotations. Salvation, biblically, happens exactly the same for Jews as it does for Gentiles. In verses 15 and 16, he makes the the contrast. We ourselves, Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but we know a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Do we have my little diagram with arrows and stuff? Two two groups of people, they're the Jewish people, they're of one ethnic background, the Gentiles, they're from a different ethnic background, and they'd be saying, okay, it's different because we have the law. Paul's saying it's not different at all. You're not saved through the law, you're saved through faith. 
You're not saved through the law here either. You're saved through faith. These two groups, but they're brought to God in the same way. Now, I think in this room, there's uh, maybe a mix, but the majority of us probably here are Gentiles. We're saved by faith the same way as Jews are saved by faith. And then we think about the different ethnic groups in this room, all part of this group, all of us saved by faith. All of us are brought to God in the same way. All of us are welcomed to God in exactly the same way. It's not based on our ethnic racial identity. It's based on grace through faith. It's not only... Just that there's one way of salvation, though, because it'd be one thing to say, okay, yeah, we're all saved in the same way, but could it be that this group is saved in that way over here, and then there's a different group who are saved through faith over here, and there's a different group saved through faith over here, and they can all just crack on with it in a separate way, even though it's kind of the same. Nope, doesn't work like that. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see him talk about through the gospel, the dividing wall has been broke down. Anything that puts one people group and another people group at a distance has been smashed down through the cross and now there's one new man. People who are Jewish and Gentile and every ethnicity brought together as one new man in Christ. We are one body, the body of Christ together. And then you get this picture in Revelation, and this is where the story ends. Around the throne of God. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hand. Do you see the vision for heaven, the vision for eternity, is people of all nations together worshipping Christ. That's the theological thrust of the Bible. He's making one new man, one worshipping people of all the nations of the earth. Isn't that glorious? So that's the theological bet. Let's talk about it pastorally then. Let's see if we can figure out what this might mean for us. Well, the first thing it means is that there can be no exclusion based on ethnicity. There can be no... uh, replica of what we saw in Galatia because they were saying you're in or you're out based on your cultural background your ethnic heritage that's what makes you part of the people you can't do that when you get this theological view of what the gospel is doing there can be no one particular cultural form that gives shape to what Christian worship is that's what they were trying to do they were trying to say well okay maybe you can be in but you have to do it in this cultural way You can't do that, but it's such an easy thing to do. It's so easy. Whatever your background is, whatever you grew up being used to, the kind of churches that you were in when you were a kid learning how things were done, or when you first became a Christian and you saw the way things were done, isn't it easy to then go from that to, well, that's how things should be done. That's the right way to do things. Could be as Simple as what's the style of worship? What kind of songs do we sing? How loud are we? Do we sing in kind of somber altogether tones? Or is there people singing out on top of it? Is there exuberance? Could be how you approach preaching. Could be is it someone standing talking like this? Or is there back and forth? Is there dialogue? How long is it? What kind of um, tone of voice does the preacher use? could be what leadership looks like and what you expect from the people who are leaders amongst a group. It could be how formal do people dress when they show up. It could be, do you start on time or not? It could be, 
It could be, do you eat together? And if so, what foods do you eat? There's all sorts of things. And what we tend to do is we say, look, there's all those people and there's a right way of doing it, which is my way of doing it. And there are wrong ways of doing it, which is everyone, else way, everyone else's way of doing it. And I'm really, really glad that those people want to join with us. And now all they need to do is recognise that my way of doing it is right and start doing it my way. And then we can have a great church community together and it'll be wonderful and we'll be so multicultural and everyone will be happy. That's not quite how it works. <coughs> it doesn't work like that at all. The other thing you can't do, if the vision of the Bible is one new man and this group from every nation around the throne, you can't do equal but separate. You can't say, okay, fine, we've all got our different styles of doing things, so you get to that building on a Sunday and do it in your style. We'll go over here and do it in our style, and that'll be fine. That's not how the gospel works. It was famously said that in America, 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. That is an offence to the gospel that that has been true. Because it's not what the gospel's doing. It's building a new people from every nation. So we're saying more than just there can be different cultural forms within the church. We're saying that the full magnificence of the gospel is not seen without different cultural forms together making up the church. Now you might think I'm labouring the point here. And I am, because it's important. And I'm going to carry on doing it. Because what he says when he um, confronts Peter in verse 14, he says they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. Isn't that a strong way of putting it? He's not saying, okay, there's this social issue that they've kind of gone awry on. He's saying this is a gospel issue. He's saying the way they're acting here and putting this ethnic division into the church undermines the very gospel itself. That's why Peter's hypocrisy is such a big deal to Paul. If you're thinking, I don't quite get it, I don't quite see the racial implications of the gospel, what I would encourage you to do is just read through the New Testament cover to cover, and you will see it everywhere. It's one of the big issues that he was addressing, well, that all the New Testament authors address again and again and again. Dr. Sidney Park says that racism is not simply sin, is active resistance against the perfect work of God on the cross. So then practically, what can we do? I've talked pastorally a bit, but let's talk practically. What can we do? There's a few thoughts. This is just scratching the surface. There's a lot more we could say. One of the most important things we can do is learn from the experiences of other people who have different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, and different experiences. Let's talk to each other. Let's ask each other our stories. Let's learn from what other people have learned about worshipping God in their culture and in their way. Let's do it in person. Let's also do it in who we read, who we listen to, who we view on YouTube. Let's not only learn from people who are like us. Let's learn from people who are not like us as well. So we listen. As well as that, we, we speak. We work it out together as a church people, as a, as a community. We work this out. We have the conversations. Often they're not easy conversations. It wasn't an easy conversation for Paul to have, right? He got in Peter's face in front of a whole crowd. But it was a necessary conversation. Let's be ready to speak out when we see things that are not in line with the gospel. And this is one of them. Caleb Rosado points out the church has tended to be loudly silent regarding racism. Such a posture must be repented of 
before we can fulfill our vision. Let's not be silent on this. In the church or outside of the church, let's be open. Let's embrace one another. Let's celebrate diversity in our community. Let's let our gatherings, so our Sundays like this, our community groups, our socials, whatever we do, let them lean heavily into this, that we're a people together from different cultures, different nations, tribes, tongues, languages, and let's let that shape who we are. The gospel is a magnificent thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a life-giving and transformational thing. It's the gospel that sets the parameters for who's in and who's out. And it's not based on how well you've kept some external standard. It's not based on racial, ethnic identity. And it's not based on what others may think or say of you. Because that was Peter's problem. He was a hypocrite. He was too worried about the fear of man to stand up for what he knew was true in the gospel. It's simply based on the free gift of grace. And that gift is on offer to each and every one of us today.